This is the Books and Authors Fantasy and Sci-Fi Podcast with your hosts, Scott Walker and Jamie Davis, episode 203. I'm one of your hosts, Jamie Davis, author of Fun Fantasy and Sci-Fi Reads. I'm here with my co-host, urban and cozy fantasy author, Scott Walker. Scott, you know, um, I know you've been head down like editing or, or actually plotting out your next book in the Cozy Vales uh, novel that, you've, that you're putting together. Um, how's that coming? Just about done, actually. Uh, way past the deadline I set for myself, but the the plotting I, is just about locked down. I should have it wrapped up by by today. Whatever today, you know, listeners, whenever you hear this, it's it's done. It'll be done by the time you hear this podcast. So I will be deep into writing the first novel in my Cozy Bales series. And just because I'm a glutton for punishment, I'm co. I'm, I'm basically writing another book in Cozy Bales at the same time. It's a travel log. And I'm very excited about that too. So I've got a couple of books lined up and I'll, you know what? I think I can share this. We just had our first standalone Cozy Bales novel from one of the Cozy Bales scribes be submitted for an early critique review. So um, if you like Cozy Bales, you're about to get a lot of books coming out. That's on top of the summer anthology we've got scheduled for later this summer. So things are about to get very busy in the Cozy Bales world. I think that's awesome. I, I'm, I, I, first off, I love the idea of the travel log because the Cozy Vale's concept of these different valleys in this, in this queendom that have very different things going on in them, um, all cozy, but in various ways. And so, uh, having a travel log to talk about some of the various places that you might visit in someone else's novel is just super awesome. I'm very excited about it. And I can't believe it took me this long to come up with the idea. But once I did, I can't, I couldn't shake it. And I'm like, I'm going to be writing two books at the same time, which is not ideal, but I really want to write both of these books and I really want to get them out as quickly as possible. So there we are. That's that's mostly me in the background. I'm still editing book three in my cozy urban fantasy series, Manhattan magic. That's available for pre-order that drops in April. So I'm working on that as well. How about you, my friend, what's been keeping you busy? Well, let's see. I'm um deep in the middle of uh Lone Wolf Squadron book 9 Star Deputies and that is coming along nicely uh and I'm getting ready the release of um book 8 which is Cluster Command um that comes out uh in just a couple of weeks from when you this episode comes out. So right at the end of February. Um and I too am sort of at least plotting out books two at the same time because um, my wife and I are taking a trip to Scotland and I decided to use it as an excuse to write the next book in my extreme medical services series. So that's going to be called the paramedics siren. At least that's the working title right now, which is for those of you that are in, um, you know, the mythological world siren has many meanings and not just the thing that goes woo woo on top of an ambulance. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna we're the gonna, most awesome description for sirens I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> so in, in fact, I'm gonna have to do something because you know the European sirens sound different than the American sirens. They have different like th- different tunes they play basically. So um, I'm gonna make fun of that. And um, so while we're on our trip, I'm gonna visit some specific places in Scotland and learn some of the lore. 
and talk to people about their favorite mythological creatures that might live in their backyards and uh, use that to springboard into the new book. Um, as my paramedic main character, Dean Flynn goes over on a trade basically with the ambulance services in Northern Scotland. So should be fun. And shenanigans ensue. And shenanigans will ensue. <laughs> and of course a siren will be involved. So should be fun. That sounds awesome. My friend, that sounds awesome. I'm excited. I, I, you know, it, it, not, it's, it's, it's great to be able to travel with your wife. It's even better to be able to write it off because you're going to write a book about it. So oh, totally. <laughs> I mean, I came back from, uh, I came back from Ireland in 2018 with an idea for a novel that I, I probably wrote five or 10,000 words before I had to get back to my original series, little yoga that I was working on at the time, that book's still out there. And at some point I intend to finish it. Yeah. I, yeah. I'm, ex- I'm super, I'm, I'm already excited and inspired by the trip and I haven't even like walked through a 12th <laughs> century castle ruin yet. So it's going to be amazing. I, 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 we don't have an appreciation for old here in the United States the way they do in Europe and other parts of the world where old can be hundreds or even thousands of years older than anything we have here. Um, you know, I, I, I kind of got a feeling for that when I was walking around in some of the Pueblo um, cliff, cliff, cliff dwellings in Colorado um, where, you know, the very old settlements there that, you know, date back a thousand or more years. And um, that was pretty amazing to think about people living there and living their lives and going about their daily chores in in that setting. But I'm going to be doing it again in Scotland. So I'm looking forward to it. I mean, literally stepping back in time, you're you're stepping into history. Yeah. Yeah, really am. I'm I'm, like I said, I can't wait. We're going to go to, (laughs) we're going to go to Loch Ness. So maybe Nessie will show up in my book. I don't know. We'll have to see. (laughs) You have to. I'm looking forward to your report when you get back. Yeah, definitely. We'll definitely talk about it here on the show when I get back. I, we we go to the beginning of March, so it'll be a couple episodes from now. But I'll definitely chat about it with folks here on the podcast. Um, but let's get into this week's episode. Our guest this week is Scott Moon, who is a very prolific sci-fi writer. Um, and I know we focus a lot on fantasy in this, but it is the fantasy and sci-fi podcast. I write sci-fi as well as fantasy. So I wanted to make sure we got Scott on here. He's been a guest that I've been kind of eyeballing for a long time and have known him for a while. Um, but let's go ahead and read his bio and then we'll get into the interview with Scott. So 40 some years ago, Scott was a 12 year old playing Dungeons and Dragons all night, reading Carl Edward Wagner, Brian Daly and Michael Moorcock, Moorcock and daydreaming way too much. Jumping off the house to practice his ninja rolls was also a thing. This sounds like my childhood in many ways, I, I think. Um, over the last four decades, he's submitted stories to traditional publishing, self-published novels, acquired book and audiobook contracts, and worked with some amazing collaborators, including The Last Reaper with J.N. Cheney, Terran Strike Marines with Richard Fox, and Dark Landing with Craig Martell, just to name a few of the series he's collaborated on. He loves writing, his life is simple, family and friends, reading and writing, and living a life full of imagination and adventure. So uh, let's go. Yeah, yeah, the Venn diagram there, there's a lot of overlap for sure. (laughs) All right, two Scots and a Jamie, let's do this. (laughs) 
Scott, welcome to the Books and Authors Fantasy and Sci-Fi Podcast. Uh, why don't you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about who you are? Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate um, coming on. So uh, my name is Scott Moon. I write uh, mostly space opera, military science fiction. You know, I've been around for quite a while. Um, a big fan of 20 books. I think that's where we met face-to-face mm-hmm. the first time, right? Um, I was, I'm retired law enforcement. Uh, I did that for 26 years and been writing my whole life since I was a little kid. And, um, I would list all the series, but I just have a lot. I have a lot of books out there right now. So that's me. That's you. Thing. Fantastic. And, and that is awesome. And, you know, I think you and I met at 20 books in mm-hmm. 2021, as a matter of fact. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. They kind of blur together. I there was a while there where I went to every single one, and then I I missed like every other one, and it feels so surreal because I don't know. It feels like if one, it feels like when you go to twenty books, it's like you, you, as soon as you leave, you're like, well, when can I come back? And then and then when you come back, it's like you're never gone. At least that's the way it feels for me a lot of times. It it is Vegas after all. Yeah, it is. You know, and all the writer people are there too. Yeah, so, definitely. Well, we typically start off with a couple of questions. We ask every author, kind of give the readers and listeners some, our listeners some context here. When and why did you decide to start writing? You said you've been writing for a while. What was the trigger for that? Um, so, I mean, I guess it's the main reason is, is it's one of the only things I was good at when I was a kid. You know, I had some teachers that said, oh, you wrote a neat story, like in third grade. And I'm sure it was like probably a blatant ripoff of the Jetsons or something, you know, back then. But um, so my mom was a English literature teacher and then a librarian. And eventually she did some administrative stuff, but, uh, I played, she also ran the alternative school. So we had a lot of older kids that would come by our house, kind of like, um, the land of misfit toys, you know, around our house. And, but the, the short version of that is, so she started the alternative school and a lot of times this were people that kind of had non-traditional learning methods and were like usually really smart and artsy. And, and so I started playing Dungeons and Dragons with like seniors in high school when I was like 11 and 12. Awesome. Cause they're always around. And so I played Dungeons and Dragons. I was reading books. Um, at some point before that, my dad had said he'd pay me a dollar a book to read books. And so I read like a few books. I read the Black Stallion books. I remember that's what I started with. And then he, I kind of forgot to ask him for money eventually, and he forgot to keep paying me, but I kept reading books, and I kept writing stories. And then so I was about 12 years old, and my mom said, we should write a book for kids your age. And that's when I officially went, I'm going to write books. This is what I'm going to do. And I've been trying to do it ever since then. It's it, And you've, you've definitely got, a, like you said, a lot of books out there, um, and they're mm-hmm. having success with readers um, connecting with you. Uh, what is it about the writing process and getting them out there for people to read that you love the most? Um, I, I really like, I just really love the stories and I like almost every process of writing the stories. I like coming up with the ideas. I really like characters and places. And to me, it's kind of like, um, I love the idea that I'm daydreaming, but it's not like I'm just screwing off. I'm actually, you know, creating something. Um, I like all things creative. You know, I, I'm a, a, a really mediocre artist or used to be. I, I did music a lot in high school. And I went out and tried to make it in California when I was a young man and came back here and, um, and did a lot of other stuff. But 
So I love creative stuff. I love making things. And I get in the process and I just really like the story. Like I like the initial idea when you're taking the story, but I also really like polishing the stories. Um, so I enjoy editing. I enjoy self-editing. I don't enjoy as much when you get the stuff back from edit editors and beta readers. We're like, this makes no sense. And then I'm like, you're right. It doesn't. I have to read the entire book to figure out where I went wrong. And then, then you're on a deadline and that gets stressful. But I, I just, I like, I like going on an adventure in my mind and I've come to love the structure and, and just the words and when something pops, you know, cause you can, you can tell when something's good. That makes sense. And when you, you're like, holy shit, I wrote something that, I mean, that's actually good. I mean, who am I to do that? And so that's a neat feeling when you when you think you actually did it right. Yeah, so I like to use a sports analogy. Uh, you know, I don't play golf, but if you get that hole in one. Mm -hmm. That's what keeps you coming back to the links, man. If I did it once, I can do it again. Oh, yeah. And for me, you know, you hit that writing groove and something pops out of nowhere, it wasn't in the plot, wasn't on your radar, was not even on your mind at the beginning of the book, you get this great idea and you're like, mm -hmm. that is an awesome idea. And I'm definitely adding it to the book. And that is, that's what I, attracts me to writing. I love going through that process yeah. and having that experience happen just completely out of the blue, unplanned for, but still awesome. Still yeah. awesome. You give yourself chills. Yeah. You give yourself chills. You, you're like, wow, that was magic. Was it, it literally is? I I think of it as magic. Um, mm -hmm. When you have readers come to your books, especially new readers, what types of reading experiences do you think they're going to have? Do you want them to have? I know I have certain goals for the books that I write. Um, what should readers expect from your books? So it's it's interesting. I I've I'm really I like a good well paced book with some um, exciting characters that they're going to bond with. Most most of my readers, when they say that they do like something, it's because they like a certain character. You know, like, oh, that character's great. I like a character. I wish there was more of this character. Um, you know, plot stuff is good, but I think character's where it's at. Um, I also like, I get a lot of compliments on world building, but I don't do, I do my world building mostly as discovery writing. Um, after as I'm going through it, you know, because I know I like to go into a planet, but when I get there in the story, then I'll be like, okay, well, why is it different? What is exciting about this? And and I keep my world building descriptions pretty tight. And I can I feel like I do a lot with a little bit of description. And so I guess what I'm looking for my readers to experience is some characters they would love to go on an adventure with and a a vibrant kind of a uh, place they can go someplace they would go and hang out on their own if they could get away with it. I think that's great. And it's a perfect way to pivot into Homeworld Lost and talk a little bit about where Noah Gantz came from. Um, you know, this, in, this series is on its ninth book is in pre-order now. So what, mm -hmm. what can folks expect from Noah and where did he come from? Where did this series evolve from? So, uh, so Noah, uh, Homer Loss is a collaboration I do with uh, Jeff Cheney. Um, he um, has variant books. Is his company, and he has a whole cast, a whole crew of people that that you know do all of the production stuff. But we always start with ideas. And so when I was, I wrote the Last Reaper with him. That was my big breakout series. I did fifteen books, and then I did a couple of other series with him, which did okay. But so. As we're nearing the end of a long series, he, 
able to say, start thinking about what we want to do next. And so we'll kick ideas back and forth. And I had actually, uh, this would have been about a year ago, I started writing, because I write 30 minute blocks. And then I take a little break and I write some more and so on and so forth. And so I started dedicating 30 minutes a day to just new ideas. And so I would get up every day when I was fairly fresh and I would just write for 30 minutes just uh, on new ideas for books. Like sometimes that would be just a little description. Sometimes it'd be an outline. Sometimes I'd really get into it. And so I came up with four or five of those and all of which, of course, I loved like my own children. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I gave them to them. And some of them, he's like, yeah, that could work. But some of them are like, yeah, it's not quite our target audience. And we kicked some things around. Well, and he came up with the, the home world lost idea. He said, well, what about this? So he's got a really good friend. He's real creative. And they came up with kind of the idea and it's a, it's a familiar science fiction trope. You know, your pilot is blasted into another galaxy and can't find his way home. And there's all these different things um, where, where I felt like it started to kind of be more original or as original as I could make it is, you know, because they're like living starships. So he came up with the idea of a living starship. I'm like, OK, well, that's going to be like Farscape and several others. And but then I looked up that trope and there's actually dozens dozens of books that have living starships there's lots of different variations on the living starship um things i'm like okay well so um we can do a version of this well we've done a lot of stuff with cyborgs and genetic engineering or other stories and so we're like well what if he gets horribly wounded and the ship's living starship saves him but to save him, the ship's got to put part of her own biomatter into him. So he becomes a symbiont with the starship. So basically their main character and the starship are part of the same being now. And they share a consciousness. And so and it, and it starts to branch out and get progressively stranger from there in, in some ways. And uh, and then we, just, we went from there. That's kind of where it got started. So he's a, it's rescued by a living starship. It becomes kind of an organic cyborg with the ship. And that's that's where we went. Yeah. That's a super, super cool premise. Um, because I was reading that earlier and I was like, ah, oh, man, this this sounds like the kind of book I want to pick up. I, I love this idea. Fish out of water. He's got mm-hmm. to figure it out. He, it, like he's got a lot of stuff going on. Um just surviving becomes an issue. Forget going yeah. back home, like just surviving day to day. Uh I know that I draw inspiration from lots of different sources, TVs, video games, mm-hmm. shows, books, movies, whatever, real life. Um, and I'm curious for for the world that you and Jeff put together, like uh, you're coming up with this alien environment, right? So mm-hmm. uh, tell us a little bit about what Noah's, the space that he's found himself in, this, this new world he's found himself in. And then I'd like to know kind of more behind the scenes uh, what was some of the inspirations or what were some of the elements that you pulled from to create this original new world? So um, we, we start out, uh, a lot of the first book is on the ship. And so a lot of a lot of the world building is developed on the ship. And the ship is massive and it has, I, I um, think of it like you don't know everything that's inside your body. Well, the ship doesn't either. And so he's in there. The people live on the ship. And the first thing that he learns is the ship is primarily a healer. And the ship heals every living creature that it transports. And the ship is nonviolent, which causes them a lot of problems because they're always being attacked and they got to figure out a way to defend themselves. 
and do these different things. And everybody kind of winds up on the ship for a different reason. And so we meet some of these other cast and crew who have all been healed or transported as some sort of special thing. But one of the things that he learns in the first book is that the ship is kind of sick. And so he finds a portion of the ship that's kind of like a farm or an ecosystem of its own, and it's infected with these creatures, and he's got to deal with that. And so he meets some of these creatures, and some of them are bad, some of them are good, and and eventually learns that the ship was transporting another living entity that's like a starship that is basically a seed ship for a world. But due to different factors of, of, of Cain as the ship being hunted, Cain um, hasn't been able to deliver this living entity. Well, it's almost a whole world that she's carrying around, you know, like an ark, kind of like Noah's Ark. And so they, they complete that process. They deal with these with this other infestation. And they learn, so a lot of the world building is within the ship, as far as like below decks, secret vaults, um, those types of things. From there, each planet I go to, I just always try to like, just when I get there, I try like, what does it look like? Okay, well, let's do something at least a little bit unusual. Let's, you know, let's, let's make the city look different. Let's make these aliens here have something different about them. And then, and it kind of goes from there. Like, um, I think of a good example. Um, one of one of the main characters is a Titan, and they're like kind of like Minotaur battle lord, but they have they have their own symbiotes. They have like a battle tail, well that that lives on them, and 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 there's some banter there. Uh, one of the creatures that he finds when he's getting rid of the infestation is this six legged cat dog looking thing um, that eventually kind of talks, but not really sure if it does talk or not by the end. And it's, I just, I, I have fun with those little diversions. You can see my imagination just kind of run a while. I guess it's a short answer. Just go crazy. Yeah. Get and, in there and go crazy. Yeah. Go crazy. Um, what's the, here's a, here's an odd question for you, but what's the, what's the craziest idea that you ended up having to drop? Mm-hmm. Like something that, you know, the, the, the uh, deleted scene or something that you really loved, but you had to get rid of it because it just didn't work. Oh, I was trying to think with this series. Um, craziest idea. Oh, well, so a lot of, I think probably is going to do with the seer. So as in, I think it's in his third or fourth book, he takes on this artifact um, that's an ancient alien artifact, typical science fiction trope. Well, it sticks to him. And so he's got this kind of thing that's uh, part of him now, but it gives him different powers. Well, somebody created the seer and it's spelled S-E-E-R. So if I'm pronouncing it goofy, that's just how I think in my head. But by the time I got to the seer overlords and their world ships that they had and stuff, it was so vast and complicated. I'm like, I'm just getting, I had to scale it down quite a notch because at one point they had, I think it's in book six, five and six, these storylines overlap they've basically made these kind of like cyborgs, um, but it's just a framework. And so the seer overlords, they, they, they basically take the cyborgs that don't have the people in them yet. And then they go to worlds and then they force people into the cyborg. Well, it's not very pleasant for the people that don't really want to be cyborgs. And that, that got to be uh, pretty bizarre. And I had to scale that, that down quite a bit. So you have like your typical alien invasion movie where the aliens come 
but then they taking people off the street and shoving them into these big metal boxes and taking over their minds. And then they're becoming these, this unstoppable force of billions of cyborg creatures. That that's probably the weirdest and too much. Cause it's also very graphic. If you start thinking about what would that be like to be stuck in a machine and have things drilled into your head and become part of that. It's like, it's not quite my audience there. So I tone it back just a tad there. I got it. Got it. Well, good, good catch by the way. Um, yeah, yeah, there you go. So it, it sounds like, cause I, I have gone through the, the blurbs on the books. It sounds mm-hmm. like you've got kind of a, of a, a villain for each book or a hurdle or a, a challenge that, that no one's got to overcome. But then there's this like series long kind of a mm-hmm. challenge. Like, so in the first book is, is, is survival the antagonist for him or is, is yeah. it an infestation of the creatures? Like what's, what's that look like? The, the biggest problem of course is, is survival. And then, and then um, becoming part of the crew because not all the crew is really happy to have him there. There's like a cast, the main cast of characters, you know, like the Titan I, that I first described, he doesn't want anything to do with him. He's doing tight stuff and very silent warrior type and he won't even hardly talk to him and he's got to get past that. Um, he's got a, a, a Elshin spy um, that he rescues. Um, but so in the beginning, he's trying to survive. He's trying to figure out what his situation is, if he can go home and if it's possible, how is he ever going to go home? Because he has no idea how far away he is. Um, so the main thing is survival. Then there's just the obvious, like I read a book a long time ago and it said something like, when you write a story, your character needs to have something they need or want immediately. And so the example that that this the author of this book said, I can't remember, I wish I could remember who it was, but they said, it could be like they need a glass of water. And so in the first scene, they need something. It's like, I'm thirsty, I need a glass of water. And so you got to give them things to overcome. And that's, the infestation was mostly just kind of exercise the characters and figure out how they would deal with, with the dilemma. Um, and so then that developed the living sea ship, which turned out to be very important in the rest of the series, which I didn't know about when we first started. And then as far as the antagonist, so... And I can't remember how much we talked about it in the blur, but he was the second test pilot to get lost in space. And they assumed the first one's dead, but of course he's not dead. He he went first and kind of disappeared and got a power complex and has been gone actually a lot longer chronologically than, than they realized. And, and he's the main antagonist for the first six books. So uh, Jeff and I, we always do book arcs um, like, the last Reaper was 15 books, but it was three five-book arcs. So if you really were like, I love this, but I kind of want to move on to something else, you read the first five books, you could probably stop there and be okay, reasonably satiated with the story. But then you get new problems and new, you know, a whole new larger plot problem. And so in Homer Lost, the first arc is six books. So at the end of six books, you know, if the series didn't take off, we could write a new series because it had a, had a resolution at the end of six books where you could say, OK, this is done. Um, and then after that, as long as people like it, I'm doing three book arcs. So the three I'm on now is the Titan arc. So the, the main character who or the main side character who's a Titan, he has a deal where politically and, and socially that he's dealing with in the first six books, but it really is handled in the in the in books seven through nine. And so that's 
the Titan arc. And then when we get that done, if people still want to read in the series, then we're going to do um, another three book arc. And this will be more focused on some of the other characters that are in this starship with him, specifically Solon, Solon Farr, who's the Ocean spy and kind of her story and how it relates to the larger story. And then we'll go through that. And, and I'm excited about that arc because we're going to see all the worlds of all the main characters. And that'll be fun. A little planet hopping. It does sound like fun. And, and a lot of opportunities for the readers to find out more about their favorite characters yeah. uh, besides the main character. I think is something yeah. that I, I always enjoy exploring out into those peripheral characters too um, and, and learn a lot from that. Um, shifting gears a little bit. I, I remember when you retired from the force, it was what, about a year or two ago. Um, about 14 months. Yeah. So, yeah. um, not like I'm captain or anything. <laughs> I, I, I understand that. Um, what's the, uh, what, what was the biggest change for you when you went from being an employed person in, on the police force and also a writer to becoming just a writer? So it's, it's pretty interesting. Um, like I said, I've been doing this a long time and, and I'm a big fan of process and daily work and momentum. And um, so when I was a police officer, at one point I was working, my day started at um, 6.30. And so and this is, went on for several years. And so I got up at three so I could write for two hours before I went to work every day. And I mean, on my birthday, on Christmas, it doesn't matter what day it was, I, I would write. Now, some of the times I got more work done than others, depending on how you are. But so I was very disciplined um, because I knew what I wanted to do was be a writer. And I was very afraid that when I did retire and write full time, that I would crash and burn because I had known lots of close personal friends, uh, lots of writers I met through our show and that 20 books that they made that big leap to do it full time and then something happens and they just don't really get the books written. And there's reasons for that. We could probably spend a whole show on that. We can talk about it more if you want. But so I went into it with a very regimented system of writing, writing first, writing no matter what, um, writing every day. And my family is all very on board with it. Now there's obviously challenges because now you're always available. It's like, hey, I need somebody to pick up the kids. I'll do it. I need somebody to wash the car. I'll do it, you know. And you you wind up, you can lose your day pretty quickly when you don't have a boss making you clock in. So you got to be your own boss and make yourself clock in. Yeah, I, I, I found that, you know, I, making the words the primary goal of my day every day has mm -hmm. done a lot more for my productivity than anything else and is yeah. one of the reasons I'm able to still continue to put you know, regular books out on a, on a pretty steady basis. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be a lot. It's amazing how much a little bit does a little bit, a few words, you know, 500, a thousand words, you know, that adds up to a lot of books actually. And, um, and it has to be kind of non-negotiable. That's, that's the thing is you, it has to be, this is the most important thing I can do. And it doesn't always feel like it's, it feels like you're screwing around, but it really is more important than, Maybe it's not more important than picking the kids up. I mean, technically, they could probably walk home. But, um, but you know, like, if you miss a dentist appointment, then you miss it. You reschedule it. But the word's got to get there. It's more important. Yeah. And I think, I think that whole, that key, that keyword discipline, I, I think that mm -hmm. really is the, the difference between authors who 
make it full time, have a successful career versus ones who don't. Um, I, I just getting up in that work ethic is mm-hmm. a common, very, very common refrain when I look at the people who I'm trying to imitate, emulate the people I look up to. What do they do? It's people like Jamie, like every morning I'm at the keyboard, I'm slinging words every single morning. And, uh, you know, if I can't do it in the morning, then I squeeze it in later that day, because without those words getting written, no new books, no new books means no new readers. So it's, that's awesome. Um, you just, you mentioned the word discovery, talk about another keyword earlier Mm -hmm. about the world building aspect, but from a plotting perspective and the story itself, are you a plotter? Are you a discovery writer? Are you a little bit of a mix? So, um, I'm a mix. Yeah. I, I, um, I started out as a discovery writer because that's what Stephen King did. And I read his, his memoir of the craft on writing or whatever. And, and I had always just done it that way. Um, I learned how to outline. There's a book called, um, I think Larry Brooks is the, is the author, but the book is story engineering. And there's, yeah, there's two or three of them like that. And it's an excellent book. And I don't use everything in it, but I use the key points. And so I like to know, um, there's also the snowflake method. You probably heard of that. Um, I, I do, I kind of mix that in there sometimes. But so when I start coming up with, see, I write, like right now, I'm writing books uh, with Jeff, but I also have like my side projects. And a lot of time my side projects are because I bought a book cover I liked. And really the only thing about it is that's like cool looking book cover. I think that should be a story. And that's all I have. It's like, well, that's a picture of a person standing in front of a Mac. And off we go. So, um, but so before I write, I like to kind of know who my characters are a little bit. Um, I like to know, and when I start putting it on paper, I will write my inciting incident or my hook. I'll write my first plot point, which is about 25% in. I'll write a midpoint, which is kind of everything changes at 50%. And I'll write a final plot point or second plot point where everything they need to solve the story must be there by that point. And you, you've obviously read the book, you know what I'm talking about. Because if it comes later than that, then it feels like days of smacking it. You know, it's like, oh, the cavalry came because there's two pages left and we just called in a magical fix. Well, you got to you got to have those things, those revelations, those character alliances, whatever it is that's going to be important. In the last act of the book needs to doesn't have to be really blatantly obvious, although it can be to the reader. But they should when they get done with the book, they should look back and they go, oh, yeah. That's that where he found that one thing that was so useful, you know. So I, I get those those main points there, and then I then I do like I usually try to do three story beats per chapter, um, and, and I'll put in little details. I have a really tedious, boring process of how I use Scrivener and all this and work exactly how I set up my screen and everything. But um, well, what happens with me is I usually outline the. I get those things done. I'll outline every chapter, usually up to the mid middle of the book, but then I get really bored with outlining and then I just start writing. And then when I have written about to the middle, then I will outline the rest of the book. And that works best for me because if I outline the whole book, I almost always have to change the second half of the outline anyway. So I'll have a, I'll very lightly outline the second half of the book then when I get stuck, I'm like, okay, this is going to be fixed. And then I'll go through, I'll outline, make sure everything makes sense. And then I'll finish writing the book. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, process. yeah, I, I, it sounds similar because I I have a lot more detail on the early chapters. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, the yeah. later chapters of my plots are big fight scene, um, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Car chase with fruit stand. Yeah, yeah. I mean that kind of stuff. It's it's you have just a few words just to tell me what I might be mm-hmm. thinking about because it's going to change. It almost yeah. always changes by the time I get to it. So that, that's exciting. Yeah. That's fun. Um, what do you want? readers to feel like when they reach the end of your book? Do you want them? I'll let you, I'll let you answer rather than give yeah, you yeah. choices. Uh, I, I like the, uh, uh, I think uh, it's probably in the Larry books thing, but it talks about Ace. No, I think it's, uh, it's either in that one or in the store or in the uh, Snowflake method books, but they talk about, you want to have a surprising, but inevitable ending. And I really would like, and I don't know them. I think my names are okay. They're pretty good. I like them. But the people that I really respect for being brilliant, there's not very many people that live up to the standard. That's why I'm saying all that. But, but it's where you get to the end and you're like, wow, that makes total sense now that I look back. But it caught me totally by surprise. It's like, that's not what I thought was going to happen. But yeah, it makes sense because there was that one thing that happened and that character did this. And yeah, that's the perfect ending. That's what I would like to have. Um, I like people to come away feeling good, full of energy, I like them to be like, man, these characters, I love these characters. I'm sorry that one had to die. And uh, I want another book or another story or something because I need more. You know, that's that's what I like to give people. That's what stories have given me or like books or movies. And I don't know if I'll ever write one this good, but when you go to a movie and you're like, you walk out of the theater, and you're like, holy crap, I need to go write right now because I want to make something like that. You know, that that would be my my perfect day if, if I can make it happen someday. So you're trying to turn readers into writers? Yeah, basically. Or <laughs> sometimes writers, sometimes maybe just uh, because maybe it just inspires them to do something else they really care about. You know, like, like I'll see, I'll, um, like I watched the Super Bowl and I've never been into football that I mean, I like football and stuff, but we've really gotten into it in our household lately. And I watched some really amazing performances. And um, I'm like, man, they did something amazing. Or like we went on a family trip to um, Abilene, Kansas, which is where Dwight uh, Eisenhower is from. And they had a Dwight D. Eisenhower Museum. And I always thought he was kind of a nothing president and like didn't really do anything except that he was a war hero. But when you go through all the stuff he did, it's actually Mm -hmm. this guy really did something with his life. What am I doing with my life? I need to go do something. And so other things outside of my discipline will inspire me to do mine. And, you know, maybe you write a great book and then somebody's going to go, you know what, that half marathon I was going to run, I'm going to go do it. And I'll listen to this audio book while I'm doing it. It's it's great to get you know, feedback from your readers when you find that something you wrote influenced them in some way, whether, it, oh, yeah. you know. They read your book. I had somebody say, I read all your books from this one series while I was doing chemo. And, mm-hmm. you know, it took my mind off of what was going on. And, yeah, how can you even, like, you know, I was so humbled by that. Yeah. And um, well, so those types of things, you just don't know how your stories affect people. Yeah. There was when I was very new to, I was not successful yet, but I was had a few books out. And we had, me and some other writers had encountered a woman whose dad was basically, I think, in hospice and really loved stories and had been reading them, but then he couldn't read them. And then 
basically she was reading him these stories. And so we were all sending her free audiobooks and free books whenever we could. And she was very thankful and you could tell me all choked up. But uh, but it it was like a really big deal to her and her father. And so, um, you know, sometimes that's what stories really are for to help us cope with life and have a fun, good life. I, I ideally, I would like my stories to have people have a fun and good life. Some people write stories to make people feel terrible and want to change the world. And sometimes that's an important goal, even though I don't really like to feel terrible, but sometimes you need to be shown a story that makes you go, yeah, we need to do better. Um, but I mostly want people to feel good and energized and to take on those challenges um, like that. It sounds ridiculous, but I've drawn a lot of my real life perseverance from fictional characters. You know, you're like Sean McClain wouldn't, wouldn't let this keep him down. Well, that's a pretty hard, pretty high bar yeah. there, Scott. I mean, yeah. right, right, <laughs> yeah. What was the one? Uh, do you remember twenty? The series twenty four. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I can't. What, what Jack was Bauer. Jack Bauer. I was getting physical therapy one time because I had my IT band was really really bad, and this physical therapist guy, he'd been in the army, and he was punishing my IT band, and I remember actually laying there going, Jack Bauer wouldn't say anything. He would just, he would get this out, <laughs> and. And I was able to get through it just by like, because I've been watching, I've been been watching, binge watching that at the time. So fictional characters, maybe it's not safe to draw inspiration from them, but sometimes you can. I think that's, I think that's a great spot to to move on to our final section of the podcast. Um, This is called our no wrong answers section. We're going to do some rapid fire questions, five questions. There really are no wrong answers. Just first thing that pops into your head. And um, we'll let Scott start off with the first one. And uh, go ahead, Scott. This is an easy one. Star Wars or Star Trek? Oh, God. Star Wars, closely followed by newer Star Treks. Favorite book you wrote? Um, Favorite book I wrote is probably going to be Galactic Shield. Okay. How do you prefer to watch TV shows? One episode at a time or binge watching? Oh, I like to binge. Great. Yeah. <laughs> Favorite breakfast food? Oh, bacon and eggs. All right, last one. Here we go. Pineapple on pizza, yes or no? Absolutely. There should be a law. <laughs> it's the best thing. You know, it's probably some of the only times I'm getting fruits and vegetables. I need to get it in there. It's, yeah, no, I'm, I'm hardcore pineapple pizza guy. There you okay. go. Excellent. I'm pretty sure pineapple pizza has made its appearances in many, many of my different story universes where that has come up and been stated for the record as which way is correct. So that's your true goal. I think we just hit what you really want right. readers to get yeah. from your book. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Eat more pizza like I like pizza. <laughs> Well, it was awesome having you on the show, Scott. It was great catching up and yeah. uh, hopefully maybe see you later this year in Vegas. Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to get, I haven't got my ticket yet, but I'm going to. And I'm trying to decide if I want to fly or drive. I've always flown. It's about a 17 hour drive, but I kind of want to drive and listen to audiobooks the whole way and podcasts. And then, you know, maybe, maybe stay halfway and write you know, one night and then go and then drive in, but we'll see. I'll probably just go the easy way and fly. Either way. I hope to see you there. Either way. How can readers best find you online? 
Uh, scottmoonrider.com is my website. I'd like people to go there if they can. Um, the easiest way is just to go to Amazon and start Googling my name and maybe me and Jeff Cheney's name because a lot of our books are together. Excellent. Well, Scott, thanks for coming on the show and uh, we'll, we'll be spreading the word and have all the yeah. links that we talked about in the show notes. Great. Thanks for having me. appreciate it. Wow. I wanted to have Scott Moon on here for so long and it lived up to it. It, it was a lot of fun chatting with him and just hearing a little bit about his process and and his focus on great characters was, I think, something really inspiring. I, I totally agree. And it was nice to have someone else on this podcast named Scott. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it's a great name. And we've never I don't think we've done an author interview with an author named Scott. It was great to have another Scott here. It, it was. But I, I, for folks that don't I mean, don't see it because you don't know all the lead in. But the, the email chain that came up to this <laughs> was me you know, writing an email to Scott, either parenthetically Scott Walker or parenthetically Scott Moon. And I kept having to change, you know, I couldn't just say, Hey Scott, because it was directed at one or the other. So yeah, it was great having a Scott on and we didn't get confused at all during the actual podcast. Not once. (laughs) (laughs) It was a lot of fun. I enjoyed um, listening to his process and I completely applaud him for the fact that he is disciplined about his writing. And that that is something that I feel like I've finally kind of flipped a switch on that where it's like, I, you know, I may not feel like it, but I have got to get the words down. Um, and I think it, it's reflected in his books. It's reflected in his writing. He's got a really awesome backlist. That backlist has some great ratings. Readers are loving the books he's putting out there. So if you if you happen to be an author listening to the podcast, that is a great lesson. If there's one lesson to take away from this podcast, that is it. Definitely. Um, you know, that, that focus on getting the words, the books don't write themselves. So nope. you got, you got to sit down and put words on the page somewhere. So yeah, that is true. Well, we will have links. Oh, yo, you go ahead. No, no I was going to say, well, we will have links to Scott's website <laughs> and by the Scott, I mean, Scott Moon's website and everything we talked about over in the show notes for this episode. You can find that at jamiedavisbooks.com. There's a tab for the podcast section right at the top of the page or in a drop down link if you're on your phone. So go ahead and head over to the podcast page and follow up on those links to Scott's books. They are amazing. Uh, Scott Walker where can folks find what you're up to and keep in touch with you? Uh, Scott is writing.com is my website. And I am Scott is writing on all the major social media platforms. How about you, sir? Well, you can find me over in my new community over at the Ream site where I'm putting together a new community of followers. And for those that are interested subscribers who want to get early access to my books, all available over there. You can go there directly by heading to jamiedavisbooks.com slash family. That'll actually cut you over to the Ream site and you can follow me there. Or if you want, subscribe. I'd love to have you check out the early access portion of what I'm doing. So that's the way I do it there. Um, Until next time, though, I'm Jamie Davis. And I'm Scott Walker. And we're asking you to keep reading and keep listening here to the Books and Authors Fantasy and Sci-Fi Podcast. Thank you.